You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Thanks very much for listening. It's a bright day here in TW11. It's Wednesday, December the 1st, and it's been a a very difficult 24 hours for the jockey's room, for the weighing room in Great Britain, with two concurrent cases shining a light into some pretty uncomfortable recesses. Jockey Robbie Dunn's hearing began at BHA headquarters, where a disciplinary panel was given an outline of the BHA's case, on charges of engaging in conduct prejudicial to the reputation of racing and verbally abusing a fellow rider. And just down the road in the High Court, uh, some pretty shocking details emerging in the negligence claim that is being lodged by uh, rider Freddie Talitsky, who was paralysed from the waist down in a fall at Kempton Park in 2016 against fellow rider Graham Gibbons. Lee Mottis, head senior writer from the Racing Post, is across uh, both these cases. Uh, Lee, some some details that I, I think few of us expected coming out of the High Court yesterday. We did discover an awful lot, I think, yesterday in the High Court that we probably hadn't expected and the the headline on the racing post story is gibbon's breath smelled of alcohol at kempton and that came from evidence given to the high court by former champion jockey jim crowley who spoke in relation to graham gibbons a jockey who has had uh, issues with alcohol in the past they have been widely reported and jim said uh, in the court yesterday it was quite a co- he said that gibbon's breath had smelled strongly of alcohol at kempton he said it was quite a common occurrence i was used to it and so were other members of the weighing room now in response to this uh, graham gibbons uh, said in relation to the, the accusation that there was alcohol in his breath there's one that's one person's opinion of that one day there were 35 other jockeys in the weighing room on the same day and none of them smelled alcohol and if they had the stewards would have been alerted however when pressed as to whether he could be sure there was no alcohol on his breath he described uh, jim crowley's assertion as questionable so this is really um, added an extra an extra layer because of course this the the, the consequence of the incident in which freddie Tulitsky suffered the fall at Kempton was enormously serious. It's changed his life forever. He's seeking six million pounds in damages from Graham Gibbons. The question of this, I suppose, Nick, is that nobody can now prove whether Graham Gibbons did have Alconis system or not on the day, but it is a big issue that's been raised and it has raised questions from, from many people who've read the story to say that if jockeys were regularly aware including on this occasion that Graham Gibbons' breath smelled of alcohol, were they reporting that to stewards? It is not a surprise to those who follow the game closely that the question of, of alcohol and Graham Gibbons has, has been brought up. And there's, there's a long documented history of, of Graham Gibbons' struggles with, with alcoholism. I think what is, is shocking is the fact that so many people appeared to routinely accept from the evidence that we've heard already that it was... A fairly common or garden occurrence that he he would allegedly have alcohol on his breath 
and weren't really doing anything to to try and to try and prevent that. I think that is certainly Nick the inference that we can take from what was said yesterday. The fact that Gibbons responded to the accusation by saying, as I, as I said, that there were thirty five other people in the weighing room that day. Why did none of them say anything if they? if they thought there was a problem. Now, from what Jim Crowley said, the inference we take is that people regularly thought there was something on his system, but they didn't say anything. And as you say, Nick, that does beg the question, why? Um, we all know how dangerous uh, a job this is. We are told regularly uh, by the Professional Jockers Association that no, no group of people are keener to have uh, stronger regulations applied to uh, drug use in the sport than jockeys because they're well aware of the dangers that can come from someone riding under the influence of um, an illegal substance. And therefore, this does seem strange that if this was regularly happening, why the, the fellow riders, why Gibbons' fellow riders weren't keener to say something? Lee, there was a, a further surprising addition to this from Patrick Lawrence QC representing Graham Gibbons, which immediately drew an objection from his opposite number. What was it? That's right, Nick. There were, there were two interesting um, uh, interjections or two interesting questions uh, that Lawrence put to, to Pat Cosgrave, senior jockey, uh, who had come back from uh, Dubai for the hearing. Um, in one instance, Lawrence put to Cosgrave this question, are you aware on the jockey's grapevine of a disgraceful incident a few months ago when a well-known former jockey tried to pressure Mr. Gibbons to give evidence to help Freddie Tulitsky and then assaulted him. No, replied Pat Cosgrave. As you say, um, Nick, uh, the, the, uh, the, the barrister representing Freddie Tulitsky, according to Chris Cook, our man who was in the courtroom, shot to his feet describing the question, as out of the blue and not mentioned pre-trial, including in Gibbons' own statement. Now, Lawrence then goes on to say that it's not material to any case I want to advance, but he felt it was relevant to raise in the court. And it will be interesting if over the remainder of this week that is raised again. There was another instance, I think, Nick, when, when Lawrence put to, to Pat Cosgrave uh, an interesting um, an interesting question, interesting scenario, because Pat Cosgrave at the day at Kempton um, gave very different evidence to that which he presented to the High Court yesterday. Speaking of the High Court on, on Tuesday, he said of the incident in which Freddie Klitschke got injured, there was obviously room to go there for Freddie to go there at some stage. If there wasn't, he would never have got that far. And asked by Lawrence why he hadn't said that to the stewards on the day, Cosgrave replied, it's a code of conduct in the weighing room to stay as neutral as possible, to not get involved or say too much. Now, the judge, Karen Walden-Smith, asked him about that. I think not surprisingly, that raised questions in her head. And um, to that, uh, he said, it hadn't that much to do with me. It was for the stewards to determine between Mr. Gibbons and Mr. Talitsky, whose fault it was. And again, Nick, this case and the Frost Dunk case, which we're going to be talking about later on, does raise general themes. And I suppose one of them here is, are jockeys regularly not saying what they actually think in hearings in order to protect other jockeys? 
And it's all very well for Pat Cosgrove to say it was for the stewards to determine between Mr. Gibbons and Mr. Talitsky whose fault it was. But those stewards should surely be assisted by riders giving evidence, giving an honest appraisal of what they saw and what they felt at the time. It, there's a number of issues this raises. The wider one, obviously, is about you know, how weighing room um, behaviour it might change in the, in the future. Just on a point of stewards' inquiries on the day, Lee, when you've got an interference case like this and um, jockeys have positions to try and, and, and protect, and as you say, they, they may be not doing anything for an easy life, but not wanting to ruffle too many feathers in the short term. And I th- you, know, you can understand that, you can empathise with that. It's, it's sort of basic human nature. People don't really like conflict if they can possibly avoid it. Are we placing too much responsibility on riders in stewards' inquiries on a day, do you think? Do we need to rely so much on their evidence when you're employing a panel of stewards to make judgments on whether they should or shouldn't have done certain things in a race scenario? It's a very interesting question, Nick. Obviously, you're, you're very well-versed um, with American racing, where I think it's generally the case isn't it, that stewards' inquiries are resolved much quicker um, Evidence often given over the phone, stewards look at what they saw and then make a decision. It tends to be a more drawn out process here and evidence given by jockeys uh, clearly is significant. Are we putting too much pressure on jockeys? I would say, Nick, that um, given that jockeys are representing the owners and trainers, particularly the owners they're riding for um, when they're out on the track, but then also, I suppose, when they're in the stewards room, is it too much to ask for someone to give an honest appraisal of what they um, experienced at the time? I'm not necessarily sure it is. They're not, they're not necessarily castigating other jockeys um, in inquiry. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes journalistically. Jockeys will make mistakes on racecourses. And for one jockey to give, say, a, a, a balanced, um, honest view of what they, they, they experienced, I'm not sure that is asking too much of them. Obviously, in court, under oath, it's the whole truth and, and nothing but the truth. And we're clearly seeing testimony that is, is, quite, is quite stark and quite, quite shocking uh, to that end. Uh, this case is going to continue today and for the rest of the week. The Briony Frost Robbie Dunn hearing at the British Horse Racing Authority might need longer than the six days because it got off to a pretty stuttering start yesterday. And it, it, again, it, it, this really revolved around... You know, what happens in the weighing room and the interplay between between riders and two riders specifically here, Robbie Dunn and Bryony Frost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, we, we, we should stress that this is often referred to as Frost Dunn or Dunn Frost. It, it, it's not. Bryony Frost is only really involved in this as um, a witness and a victim, if you like. This is Robbie Dunn's hearing, his judicial panel hearing. Um, we had already been appraised of much of what was going to be presented in the BHA's case against Robbie Dunn because of the leak that led to coverage in the Sunday Times. For most of the day, the uh, the lawyers were involved in legal arguments. Um, we only really started at about three thirty, and there was pretty much just time for the representative, sorry, the barrister representing the BHA, Louis Weston, to present his opening statement. We 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 had. We had seen and read uh, an awful lot of what Louis Weston was going to present. Having said that, it was still pretty stark um, and pretty shocking to to hear what the BHA is alleging uh, Robbie Dunn did and said in relation to to Bryony Frost. Again, the Racing Post headline 
day, right next door to the Graham Gibbons headline, Dunn subjected Frost to misogynistic tirade, panel is told. And certainly what Louis Weston and the BHA allege uh, Dunn did and said absolutely fits in with that headline. There was an awful lot of, of verbal abuse. I certainly can't use the language on this pod, Nick, but it was um, quite shocking. And I think in any other working environment, if one colleague had said some of the things that Dunn is alleged to have said to Brian Frost, and they would undoubtedly, I think, uh, be a case for gross misconduct hearing. Um, there was accusations of cyberbullying, of presenting himself naked to her in the weighing room, and of more than once threatening to do her physical harm in a race. Robbie Dunn uh, will we'll talk with Ting will talk at this about a threat that was uh, presented to him um, at some point during this 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 episode. Um, towards the end of Louis Weston's opening statement, Nick, he, he tried to raise some themes that he said came out of um, the case and came out of uh, the, the witness statement given by Robbie Dunn. And, and you were talking earlier on about the, the general themes that these, that these two cases present. One here was Robbie Dunn's belief in his witness statement that senior jockeys can lecture junior jockeys. Now, we've, we've heard this before. In order to, to ensure safety in the weighing room, one jockey, a senior jockey, can say to a, to a younger jockey, you shouldn't have done that. This is what you should have done. And interestingly, Louis Weston said that he believed that Dunn feels he has a right and obligation to tell them what he thinks. Louis Weston says that is a recipe for bullying. We knew already how bold the BHA was going to be in this case, in that it wasn't simply going to be presenting a case against Robbie Dunn. To an extent, it was going to be presenting its case against prevailing weighing room culture and things that it believes needs to be changed. And I think that was certainly evident in that opening statement delivered by Weston for the BHA. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether the panel, when they reach their judgment, factor any of that into account. It will also be interesting in what the panel say afterwards. It is far from unprecedented when uh, judicial panels uh, give their verdict on, on matters, that they also provide a commentary on wider issues that those verdicts present. And it will be uh, intriguing and it will be important to see what the panel says in relation to that wider theme that the BHA has presented. I think what we're going to hear over the coming days, Nick, is an extension of that, that thematic argument where it has been alleged that, uh, that Bryony Frost was ostracised by other members of the weighing room for having made uh, a complaint against Robbie Dunn. These two things happening in parallel uh, with each other and the, the, the wider things on top of the already... Uh, deeply disturbing, concerning and damaging stories themselves, they, they, they are making for a, a really, a really depressing and difficult few days for the sport and in particular for the British weighing room. Yeah, I, it, whilst on one hand, I don't want to disrespect any of the participants in these two cases by false conflation. You know the sort of conclusions that people will seek to draw because the two cases are running concurrently they are very different in one case we're talking about a life-changing injury in another case we're talking about very serious allegations of offensive language and, and bullying but I, I i would imagine that there will be those who spend their day days 
almost exclusively in in weighing rooms up and down the country who are feeling pretty bruised this morning. This is a uh, a profession that has been placed under a microscope, not just in a uh, in a judicial panel of, of the the sport in question, but in the high court of the land. Um, this is a profession that is having to. Uh, in effect, defend itself now and will have to defend itself over the coming weeks. And I think for uh, the, the weighing room, for the Professional Jockeys Association, but for other also associations within the sport, um, there will be hard questions to answer going forward. I suppose one would only hope that those consequences, although difficult and uh, damaging at the time, can, can lead to better outcomes in the future. We'll leave for the moment. Thank you. Lee will be back at the end of the show and indeed uh, tomorrow to bring us up to date on the latest in these two cases. But though it won't be written about much, unfortunately, in the in the trade press this week, there's some absolutely sensational jump racing in, in Britain this weekend at Sandown with the Tingle Creek at Aintree with the Many Clouds and the Beecher Chase at Huntingdon with the Fitzstairs Peterborough Chase on Sunday at Nicky Henderson. Uh, it joins me now. He's got a number of interesting horses entered over the weekend, one of whom is Champ. Are we going to see Champ at the weekend, Nicky? No, he's, he's going to pass this one. And we're just going to see. He's actually going to school again tomorrow. I just... Um, it's, I'm not, he's difficult to play. We thought about the many clouds, but I mean, we're, we're going to leave that alone for now and um, just see how things go. He's, he's one that's just sort of got a bit trying yet probably want some easier ground as well. I mean, funny enough, we've actually been on the grass for the first time ever this season, this morning. Um, and it's, it's it's beautiful ground, but it's for it's for good ground horses, not soft ground horses. Okay, so so is he is he he's, he's a horse you think wants a slightly slightly easier surface to, to start he to start back again? He does, yeah. But I mean, I'm just not quite. You know, he, he's he's got a bit to do. Okay. Um, do, would, you've got a long walk hurdle entry for him. Is that speculative or is that is that a bit more than speculative? Yeah, the long walk is going to be interesting because Boz is going there on the blind side. It's almost certainly I can have to go there. And, and it, it is possible. I mean, it's just, you know, as you saw in the in the Gold Cup, he's you know, he, he just got to get his jumping right. And we, that's what we're going to see. Well, he's even going to school tomorrow. Um, and then we'll sort of be deciding which route to take. But this this back injury that he's had, or the back surgery that he's had, was, is it is it serious or is it quite a routine problem? Well, it was significant, but it's it's not it's not serious, but it was significant surgery. Yes. Okay, and and is that it's quite common in 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 a lot of thoroughbreds, isn't it? We we quite often hear about horses with sort of spinal issues as they get this older. Is a, this this is something that is, we're we're finding more and more, we're finding more and more common because it's. It's easy to detect, but we've had quite a few, and the surgery is actually, uh, you know, relatively simple. So, what do they do? Well, you just obviously you've got the dorsals that stick up, but I mean, as you can imagine, that make up the, the, the backbone. And if 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 two of those get together, i.e., they're kissing, then they will become painful. You can, in, you know, you can inject in, in between them, or if necessary, have surgery. I mean, Chantry House turned him around completely. Is he all systems go for the King George, Nicky? He certainly is. He he was one of our horses that was... You know, that's the first time we've been on grass this year. So he went a mile up there. It was... And a good ground horse. It was beautiful ground. And I just had him canter through there this morning and then he'll have his, his gallop on there on Saturday. So he's in he's in good shape. And how's Epitone come out of the fighting fifth? 
uh, Potomsky about the fighting bit really well. Really good. And I was very, very pleased with her. Um, I think she'll come on a lot, actually. Um, you know, it was annoying that she looked as she was going to win comfortably, and then it didn't quite happen in the end. She got caught having to go round the horse and probably just got a little bit tired in the last last sort of bit and then ran on again at the end, which was, she was brave to do that. Um, I think she'd come on a lot. She'd be all ready for the, you know, put a spot on for the Christmas hurdle. And you're not going to hang up on me if I ask about Shishkin, are you? Well, he's fine. I mean, he's just having the second of his two quiet weeks. Um, and so he's pushing around, having a nice time, having a little hack here and a hack there. I've just got to, I've got to clear up a bit and get him going again. I mean, he's, he's, he's fighting. He's sound. Um, he's, we, we track wash him again on Monday and we see what that looks like. And then if we're happy, we'll hopefully be able to move on and get him ready for Kempton. And has he got that, a, a, he's got a base level of, of kind of readiness that you can, you can just build towards Kempton if he's okay. Yes. I mean, he was, he was relatively, he was relatively fit when we stopped, but uh, <laughs> As you know, I tried to warn everybody in good time, but that seemed to go down like a colored balloon. Nicky Henderson there with news of Shishkin, Epatant, Chantry House and Champ, who you won't be seeing this weekend, but is it possible still for the long walk hurdle at Ascot together with his other potential runners? Tarsal Sales, the broodmares and potential broodmares were making serious money last night. The trade was vibrant and strong. There was a great feel about the place. Nick Bradley, certainly a very happy man, and he joins me now. Uh, Nick, the manager of his own Nick Bradley Racing Syndicates, who've had such a, an amazing couple of seasons. What happened last night, Nick? Um, so, yeah, we, we presented Fever of Dandala and um, Mystery Angel yesterday. Um, obviously, Fever of was um, Giddy's place, uh, Mystery Angel Oaks place. Um, and Dundala, Royal Ascot winner. Um, I think we, we grossed just about two million quid yesterday um, when all three horses went through the ring. So, yeah, it was a very good day in the ring. And, and how much had you had you bought them all for? Um, so, February was 20,000 from the Goff sale. Um, Dundala was actually bought by Kelly Burke in Ireland, but I was with her. Um, I bought her from her in February for 22,000 euros. And Mystery Angel was 22,000 from the Craven Breezer. So it doesn't take a genius to work out. That's a, a, roughly sort of somewhere between sixty and sixty-four thousand sterling, and you've you've returned over over two million. Yeah, over two million in the ring, and um, obviously a fair bit of prize money on the way, um, and probably equally as important. The guys who are in the horses have achieved their dreams. Um, a mystery angel finished second um, at uh, Epsom. That was Sunday. I remember all the owners jumping on me with about 100 yards to go because it was obvious we were going to finish second. Fever finishing third in the Guineas and winning Group 2s uh, like the um, Calvados. Yeah, it was... Um, the horse is a bit like lottery tickets. If you keep buying the tickets sooner or later, when it progress, you, you'll, you'll win a big one. Yeah, the, the only difference is, Nick, that not many people win the lottery that many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, we, we managed to win it three times on one day yesterday. Right, okay, so tell me how this impacts upon all your individual syndicate members, what kind of return they're going to see, and also how it then throws forward for your business into next year and the year after. Um, we, we, had, we had good results in previous years. Um, they just weren't headliners. 
Um, so we've had horses that we've bought for you know 20, 30 grand, sell for four, five hundred thousand before. And when I was at Midland Park, I, I did G Force, who we got several million for, um, and Pennington, we didn't pay much for, and he won six six days races. Um, but the, it should give it gives the guys who are involved a massive return on their their investment. Um, so I'll just pick something out at random. A huge sale around ten percent in February. He paid two thousand pounds for his share, or just over. Um, and I'll be writing him a check for I think his best part seventy seventy thousand plus his prize money. February uh, finished fourth over in Bahrain about ten days ago. Um, so yeah, he's he's probably times his money by seventeen or eighteen times, something like that. Doing off the top of my head, Matt. Uh, yeah, money goes to money. It's all I can say to that. And uh, uh, let, uh, what about what about in terms of the way that it's going to impact on your on your outfit now? Is, is it is it giving you the the confidence and, and a bit more kind of financial ballast to go out and play at a higher end of the market for the yearlings? Um, so I'm still going to stick to what I'm doing, um, but I'm going to be a little bit bolder. So today I bought 36 yearlings. I started the shopping in uh, Doraville in the middle of August um, and I've been to every year in sale in Europe pretty much. Um, energy levels are pretty low right now because I've literally been here, there and everywhere. When I go to the year in sales, I, I make a point of seeing every filly that, that's presented for, um, for sale and my modus operandi is to go and buy the best. I can't afford to buy the best with big pedigrees, but I go and buy the best for the best fillies probably with a compromise on pedigree. Um, and yeah, it's probably spent about a million quid this year at the year in sales. But when you get returns of two million quid from three of them, then it, it makes sense to, to have, you know dip my toe in and, and get my hand in there. Yeah, thanks to Nick. We're off to Hong Kong now. And Jay McGrath. Hi, Nick. Only a week now until Hong Kong's biggest week of international racing, and there is a lot of pacing going on in the Hong Kong Jockey Club corridors. Cautiously, mind. The crunching noises are the eggshells underfoot. COVID's latest variant, Omicron, is posing a potential problem, as you might expect. James McDonald, the world's number one jockey in the latest TRC Global Rankings, is anxiously waiting to see what the state governments in Australia do regarding Omicron. As it stands right now, any citizen returning from overseas needs to self-isolate for 72 hours. J-Mac is a Kiwi, but he's resident in Sydney. Now, while the jockeys, in fact all visiting racing professionals, will be in the racing bubble in Hong Kong, and there are currently no worries on that score, it is the return legs of their journeys that are of concern. McDonald has commitments coming up in Queensland, and the Japanese jockeys, uh, Yuga Kawada and Yuichi Fukunaga, they'll be worried whether they can return back in time to be cleared from quarantine to ride in the Arima Kinnan, the big race in Japan over Christmas. Winfried Engelbrecht Bresges, CEO of the Hong Kong Jockey Club, made an observation regarding the reaction to COVID worldwide. Winfried said, quote, For some governments, the decisions are no longer based on risk, but on public opinion and fear, end of quote. A very pertinent observation, I'd say. The Hong Kong Jockey Club don't believe there is any additional risk posed by or to those in the racing bubble, and they are carrying on preparing for the International Jockeys Championship at Happy Valley a week today, as well as the international races at Sha Tin on Sunday week. 
Speaking of Happy Valley, there are nine races there today. And we have the usual daily clash of the two biggest names in the jockeys' ranks, Joe Marrera and Zach Burton. Each has a full book of rides. Picking the best for Marrera, I'd say that is a Tianchi Monster in the Class 3 9 furlong handicap. Tianchi Monster has been around for several seasons now. Uh, his record, four wins from 43 starts, gives you an idea of his longevity. Yet this is the first time the Magic Man has been booked to ride. It might be the start of a good association. I hope so. Race 8, number 3, Tianchi Monster. Take him in a tote swinger and a forecast with number 6, Savvy Kingman, who's found a little bit of form. As for Zach Furton, well, I think his best is in race 6, number 9, Sergeant Pepper, in the Class 3 5 furlong sprint handicap. I know he turned in a shocker last time, but he's trialled well since, and he'll be well suited at this specialist trip from an inside gate to number two. Also, keep an eye on uh, number four, Escape Route, to run home into a place. Next week is arguably the biggest in the Hong Kong racing calendar. It's certainly Hong Kong's most important in a global context. I'll have more news of that in seven days' time. Lovely stuff, Jim. Thank you. Looking forward to that Hong Kong International Race Day with some degree of nervous trepidation, but excitement at the same time. And fingers crossed it all goes ahead unhindered by Omicron. Right, thanks to Jim and thanks earlier in the programme to Nicky Henderson for his updates and also to Nick Bradley. Congratulations to him once again. Lee Mottishead is with us with a tip for today. Nick, there are some real old favourites running in the 250 at Haydock today. Horses like Black Lion, uh, like Lakeview Lad and like Aso. Um, and I think Aso is one of a number of these who've dropped down the weights, but there was enough I felt in his running the Paddy Power Gold Cup to think that he uh, could bounce back soon. So he's dropped down the weights since then. Venetia Williams is in form, and when Venetia Williams is in form, we all know what happens. And I think one thing that will happen today is that Aso will win the 250 at Haydock. Great stuff. That will be a popular result. Lee, thank you so much. End on a high note. That was Wednesday, December the 1st. We will see you again tomorrow. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.